Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm Rex Nelson and delighted to welcome a longtime friend. And I'm talking a long time. That's the great thing about Arkansas, a small state. Uh, Kelly Bass. Kelly, it is great to have you today as, as we talk about the Museum of Discovery here in Little Rock. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Rex. It's 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 good to be here. And of course, we can tell old newspaper stories for, for, for hours. I was going to say, Kelly and I are both old sports writers who went on to other things. I came back to the newspaper business. He, he was smart. He has stayed outside uh, in the museum business, but uh, spent a recent morning over at the museum and was just blown away with all that's going on. So I wanted to get you on the podcast. Kelly does his own podcast uh, about food. You want to do a quick ad? Yeah, it's called Heaping Spoonful. You can search for it wherever you're listening to this podcast. And it's about uh, interviews with chefs and restaurateurs from across the Mid-South about their restaurants themselves and uh, some of the dishes that make them famous. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that has pleased me this summer uh, as somebody who lives in Little Rock, as you do, is seeing the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts receive such international acclaim since opening to the public. Those rave reviews are certainly deserved, but, you know, just a few blocks away, the Museum of Discovery, and, and you pointed this out to me, is also nationally recognized in both 2020 and 2021 you were ranked by readers of USA Today as the number six children's museum in the entire country. That's true. We were we were blown away by that. And that's not something that you lobby for or ask to be on the finalist list. But that was just, a you know, again, a grassroots effort of people who have been touched by our, our museum. And so that they came in tough times for us was, was bittersweet in that we had been closed for COVID the first time we got that award. And then We'd had a, a, a terrible um, problem with a, a broken boiler on our roof, the Valentine's week of 21, that had closed us for more than half of 21. Yeah. And that, that honor came in and kind of made us all smile since we were kind of been crying and frowning before. And, and I, wanted, I wanted you to get into both of those. Uh, results of the 2020 poll, as you said, announced just weeks before the pandemic started and results of the 2021 poll just after that flood from the burst pipes. And I believe that caused, was it $7 million in damage? Yeah, that's about right. About $7 million. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know, because it not only destroyed the building, which, uh, you know, and not the whole building, but it destroyed our part of it, which is a lot of carpet and paint and drywall and furniture and computers, but it destroyed 70 of our exhibits. And our exhibits are very expensive, mm-hmm. electronics, uh, interactive-driven, specialty exhibits that were built just for us. And here we are, and we still don't have our new ones to replace those because it is not a quick process. One of the things you told me, though, was those months you were closed, uh, certainly a, a disappointment, but you know, looking for that silver lining, you talked about how it gave you and members of your staff time to really think about the museum, where it went in the future, and uh, maybe come up with some new ideas along the way. Well, it did. You know, there are things that we had wanted to do. You know, our museum is is 96 years old, but it's, it's been in its current format since we got a big grant from the Donald W. Reynolds Foundation and reopened our doors in January of 12. So, you know, a, a good while now. But And 
we none of us who were there were involved in all the decisions about how the museum was was put together and the in the exhibits and the galleries. But we knew a couple of things we wanted to do. We had a small space that we called our tinkering studio, which every day young people and their families can come in and do a hands-on activity that shows you how things work, how things are taken apart, you know, pique your curiosity and 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 all of that. And it was too small and it wasn't very inviting. So we knew we wanted to make that bigger. You know, one thing and the trivia question that every single person could get right is the Museum of Discovery has the second largest live animal collection in the city of Little Rock. Who's number one? But we all know. But those are very popular and we've used mm-hmm. them. But again, they were kind of behind closed doors and only a few of them could be seen. So we greatly expanded the <clears throat> the size of our tinkering studio, really with the support of uh, PPG, which is a, a big national and global company that has a presence here in Little Rock. Uh, and then we also <clears throat> opened up our animal care facility where we have a lot more viewing into the animals. We do more public programs with them. So all of that was done while we were closed because when you get, we had $2.1 million in building insurance and those folks come in and they give you the money to rebuild it just like it was. But if you don't rebuild it just like it was, they don't mind. And right. so we did a few things differently. We were able to fund those improvements as well as the sponsorship money. To, to get those done. So when we reopened in August of 21, after being closed 27 of the tw- of the 52 weeks, it mm. turned out that year, we, um, we were able to debut those things. One of the things you showed me is your two-story climbing tower that you call the Climber. And, and you told me that's the most popular attraction your museum's ever featured. It debuted back on November 19th. And again, you told me in December, your attendance was 60% higher than the previous December. It was 60% higher than any any December in the history of the museum. Any December, yeah. And we continue to see record numbers. You know, we're we're recording again on August the 1st of 2023. So both June and July, we had more people come to the museum than have ever come in a June or July in our history. Mm. And... um, which makes me really excited because we're just a few months away from debuting 78 brand new exhibits slash experiences. I don't, they're not wow. just exhibits. They that's will debut. Lie. We're confident our, the team that's working on those, fabricating those at USA outside of Philadelphia assures us that we can debut those the first week of November, probably at our Spark fundraiser. So our, our fundraiser attendees on November the 7th We'll get the very first look at all of the new stuff that's going to be in those two galleries, which replace the galleries that, again, think about it. That's November of 23. They were destroyed in February of 21. Mm -hmm. That's how long the process takes. Yeah. But again, something that would drive your numbers even higher. I mean, when I met you a few weeks ago. I mean, the place was hopping. I think you had three summer camps going on. We do. This is week eight of eight. We just have a lot of people. I'll tell you, Rex, when it's summer, anytime school is out and it's hot. Mm-hmm. You want to be inside, not you outside. You do, you know, and, and we've, we've over the years have laughed when it's a beautiful April Saturday afternoon and it's 72 and Nobody's sunny. Nobody's there. They're all at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> and I talked to Susan Altrui. She's like, well, we knew you were crowded because it was too hot for, for people to be hanging out at the zoo all day. Yeah. But no, and you know, the, what we're doing is in giving families a chance to have fun and be educated at the same time is a non-controversial t- topic. And so in this days of, of polarization to the nth degree, 
everybody, wherever you are on the political spectrum, can agree that what we are doing at the Museum of Discovery is well worth doing. Now, of course, the names have changed through the years, but you mentioned the long history uh, of that museum. It moved from its longtime home in the Tower Building over in MacArthur Park in 1998 down to the River Market District. But Boy, what a fascinating history. And I, you know how I love Arkansas history. And uh, people your age and my age who grew up in Arkansas, we remember very well going to that museum in the old tower we building. Do. And I'll tell you, you know, you look back, our, our heritage goes back to 1927 when a woman wow. named Bernie Babcock. Babcock, fascinating character. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and uh, the appreciate the Democrat Gazette has had a, had a fairly a series on her and all that she did. And yeah. She was a renowned author, and she, in fact, her name is around the top of the library with Mm -hmm. Shakespeare and Faulkner and, you know, all the luminaries or some of the luminaries. But she um, had written a a book that became a play on Broadway, and she traveled a lot for all of her, you know, appearances and and to go to her own play and to do book signings. And everywhere she went, people talked bad about Arkansas. And so she made an effort, said, what we really need is a museum. And she got that place open. And you think about in 1927, a woman in her 50s at the time who says, look what I'm going to do. It's like, oh, yeah, honey, you you just go ahead and get that done in 1927 in mm-hmm. Little Rock, Arkansas. And she did it through sheer force of will and putting her own money behind it. Yeah, a- absolutely. And we still suffer from some extent from that Arkansas inferiority complex, mm-hmm. even even sometime a Little Rock inferiority complex. I was just telling somebody the other day, and I know you and I discussed it over lunch after we had our recent meeting, but, uh, you know, Little Rock has its crime issues we're having to deal with, school issues we've been dealing with for decades here. But you look at it. You have one of the top 10 children's museums in America. You've got now a world-class art museum here you've got what i believe to be one of the best library systems in the country here you have got what i believe to be one of the best newspapers in the country here i mean newspapers libraries museums uh you know, this place is, you look at it that way, and it's got a lot going for it for a city of only 200,000 people. It does. And one of the other areas that I know you agree with is that we really, we we punch above our weight on restaurants. Oh, well, unbelievable. I mean, so. the restaurant scene here, if you travel to cities our size, you don't see the chef-driven, locally determined restaurant scene. I mean, and of course, I just came from a meeting at the Clinton Center. I mean, what mm-hmm. a jewel that has been for almost 20 years now. Yeah, I meant to add that to you the know, list. And then, one of the few presidential museums in the country. One of the iconic civil rights locations, obviously, oh. with Little Rock Central High School, operated by the National Park Service. Uh, maybe the iconic civil rights location in the country. Yeah, it, it really is uh, impressive. And, you know, we're, we're both working downtown and we both believe in downtown and we know you have to have a strong downtown to have a strong city and a strong capital city to have a strong state. And there's lots of work left to be done downtown. But, you know, we also are celebrating that within a couple of years, we're going to have Hopefully up to a thousand dental and veterinary students right down the street on mm-hmm. the what's now the Heifer campus. There's a downtown master plan in place. I mean, the, the Museum of Fine Arts, 
you got no excuse if you haven't been because it's free. Absolutely. And it is. Absolutely. It's a stunning building. And, and you know, what people, a lot of people don't understand is the art collection is very similar to what was in the old building. It just wasn't a great place to see it. And they mm-hmm. didn't have as much room to display it. So we things are looking up and we just want the Museum of Discovery to be one, you know, the old uh, rising tide lifts all boats, and and our tide is rising, and it's it's rising fast, and it's rising right now. I I, I, w- I want to talk a little bit more about that. I, I certainly want to focus on the Museum of Discovery, but you and I, I know both have strong feelings about Little Rock as a whole. Let's come let's come back to the River Market District. I, our newspaper did a front page story that led just to a ton of social media comments. Others. Uh, We've had three restaurant slash clubs close in the last year. Uh, and I think a lot of, uh, of course, we always get in trouble when we start reading social media. But I, I think a lot of the so-called despair that you saw on there was was misplaced. I, I think, you know, like you said, the bar is high for food in Little Rocket. If you have poor service, mediocre food, the wrong concept, which I thought, Frankly, all three of those places did. You're going to fail whether you're in the Heights, whether you're in the Hillcrest, or whether you're in the River Market District. I I don't think it speaks to the River Market District. I think it speaks to the wrong concept in the wrong place. I I agree 100%. And I'll also say that that people who think we're going to be, or we want to be, the next Beale Street or the next Bourbon Street, that's not what that's all about. No, You know, we we don't have, you know, frat boy deluxe here and, and... those places were trying to make all their money from 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you're, and you're not Broadway in Nashville either. You no. don't have bachelorette parties coming from well, all over the country. And, and, you know, if you look at who's been down there for 20-plus years, you know, Chris and Suzanne at Stickies. They, yeah, they, they put out just a, fine. They put out a good lunch, they put out a good dinner, and they have some music. Um, Flying Saucer has been there since 1998. You can get a beer there, but it's not a bar club scene, and they've got good food. Yeah, we need restaurants where families will come and go eat. And we don't, you know, we don't need a place that, again, I'm not going to be there after 10 o'clock at night. And there will be a lot of people that don't want to fight for parking or just don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I think I think everything's heading in the right direction. I know there's RFPs out right now or RFIs. There are to redo up, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the hall. Yeah, yeah, the River Market hall, hall, which has yeah. turned into a, I mean, frankly, and I've said this to those who run it, it's open from 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Six days a week. 18 yeah. hours a week is all you can go to that place. Which I had is, to catch myself. I almost said Oppenheimer yes, because the movie's the movie. getting so much publicity. And I've been calling it Ottenheimer. It's, it's of, yeah, <laughs> Ottenheimer, yeah, for but, the hall. But yeah. no, so there's there's just a lot of reasons to be optimistic about downtown. We're just happy that it coincides with this big improvement at the museum. Yeah, a- absolutely. And like you said, there is so much going on right now. You mentioned the veterinary school, the dental school, and again, I'm told once those are fully up and running, and they see, seem to be on track from everybody I talk to, once they are up and running between staff members, between students, between faculty members, that's going to be about a thousand additional people coming to downtown every day. That's going to make a huge difference well, in you that know, neighborhood. They're already talking about, uh, you know, artists and, and talking about housing. You think about that area around Hanger Hill and where right. the old Woodruff House is. Well, we got is. the Wingate Art Space going to be going up right already there. there. Yeah, yeah, to have housing for artists. You've already got what's happening in the East Village with the Cromwell and with, with Fidel and Sterling Market. And, of course, the, the power that is Yellow Rocket Concepts, which they have Camp Taco and Lost 40 right there. 
It's just, you know, I'm loving that I go to a, a little coffee shop on 21st Street in Petaway. Mm-hmm. You know, I love when when the River Market kind of extended to third and Don Dugan opened up Dugan's and you have Copper Grill and you had some things there. And then you get over to Capitol right by where we're sitting right now and you've got the Dust Bowl and Fassler Hall. You move on further south now and you look at what's going on in Soma, thanks to Anita Davis with Bernice Garden, but you got right. rye bread and the root. And now I'm hanging out on 21st Street. Yeah. I can see the back of the old VA from sitting in that coffee shop. It's Which just, is eventually going to be apartments. Exactly. Yeah. I know. So, you know, again, you and I are optimistic fellows, and we also believe and love and care about this city that we call home. But I, I, I just feel like things are heading in the right direction. We'll be back with more of the Southern Fried Podcast. But first, this break. Hi, Rex Nelson here. Thanks for listening so far. A lot of the topics we cover here on the Southern Fried Podcast and many more can be found on the pages of the Democrat Gazette. If you'd like to support this great newspaper's commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette today. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning along with the latest news and updates dates delivered to you on an iPad provided at no extra cost. You'll also get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, including my three weekly columns, plus exclusive photo galleries, videos, articles, and digital extras all in the palm of your hand. As a bonus, we're offering a limited time deal to our podcast listeners. To take advantage of this exclusive offer, click the link in the description or go to ArkansasOnline.com forward slash podcast 23. Welcome back to the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Talk about the long-term future of the Museum of Discovery. Uh, by long, uh, you know, where are we in five years? Where are we in 10 years? And I understand, uh, you know, you get some city support, but a lot of fundraising involved. And I know that's an ongoing process for you. It, it is. You know, one one thing that the history, so so Bernie Babcock got it all going and, and, and moved it. And again, they... They moved from the original location, which is at Second Main, where we have a parking deck and have for years, to City Hall. And they had space in City Hall. Well, then in the late part of the Depression, Franklin Roosevelt created the Works Progress Administration, which did, you know, we have Petty Jean because of it in the mm-hmm. CCC. But they needed office space. So the museum had to close there. And Bernie started looking for a place, found the the, the Arsenal building in um MacArthur Park, which was where Douglas MacArthur was born. They moved there in 42. And then in 1997, as we were the, well, it started well earlier than that, uh, a temporary sales tax was able to be passed. (laughs) And three and a half million dollars of that helped move the Arkansas Museum of Science and History from there to what it was then called the museum, became called the Museum Center. And it became the Museum of Discovery and opened in January of 98. Well, when they made that move, The first year they were in the new spot, attendance had go- went from 47,000 the last year to 110,000. Mm. So it more than doubled. Right. And I tell people, if it had been just as cool in MacArthur Park as it was in the museum center, 110 would have come there. If it had been no better than what it was in MacArthur Park, 47,000 would have come. So you had mm-hmm. 100,000, 110, it kind of leveled out about 100 for several years. Did the big redo, which was 
major investment number two in the Museum of Discovery was a $9.2 million grant from the Donald W. Reynolds Foundation. Look all over this state and see all the things that that foundation uh, did. Almost every college and university campus Ex- in the state the has a Donald Stadium. W. Reynolds building exactly. facility. Yeah. So $9.2 million there. We reopened in January 12. Attendance goes up another 65%. Wow. This year in 2023, we will have the most people who have ever come because we're in the middle of reinvestment or big investment number three. We've done phase one, the climber. Phase two debuts in November, the two new galleries, Science Lab and Dynamic Earth. That will take our attendance up even more. And then next year, if we can get our fundraising all done, we will open two more new galleries by the end of next year. So we will be up in the well over 200,000 range. And I tell people it is not about the macro number, although that's important for Little Rock and for economic development. It's important because it gives us more people to get energized about STEM education at the Museum of Discovery. Assuming or knowing that our mission plays out successfully with some percentage of the people who come, you apply that percentage across 47,000 people in 1990s or 200,000 in the 2024-5 range, you just impact positively more people. So we're headed in the right direction. You know, if we can get all this done, museum exhibits and exhibit, you know, the museum art in the Museum of Fine Arts will be there as long as they take care of it. Nobody's mm-hmm. touching it. Our exhibits get beat up, and that's a good thing. They, they get touched and used by kids and families all the time. Got to be interactive in this day sure. and time. Well, the text, yeah. they, they're usually good for about 15 years. Gotcha. So if we can get all this done by the end of 2024, for the next decade and a half, we should be in a good spot. So, and, uh, you know, it, at the end of that 15 years, I will not be the CEO of the Museum <laughs> of Discovery. But, no, I think we're the future has never been brighter, and I think people care about it and, and believe in it. And there'll be another generation who take it from there. I was going to say, we were talking about people our age remembering going to the tower building and uh, uh, seeing the mummy or whatever. But, uh, you know, times change and uh, a kid science museum has to be interactive, doesn't it, in this day and time? Oh, that's what it's all about. Moving, touching, coloring, whatever, doing things. Exactly. And, and, you know, we've got a, we've got a thing called a million. They're not going to come look at a mummy behind glass. Nope. And they're not going to read a lot. I mean, they're (laughs) going to, we have a thing called the million turns and the idea it's a big multiple geared thing and you can turn a crank and it takes a million turns to by the last gear to knock a glass off that's sitting on a little pedestal. Well, it's trying to show you how much a million is. But a kid will come up there and turn that thing because they want to do something mobile, motion. They want to be in motion. And I'll say, you know, it only take 800,000 more turns for that to knock off. And they're like, I'll be here till then. (laughs) About every two and a half weeks when we're busy, uh, or excuse me, two and a half months, Uh that thing gets knocked off. But but anyway, yeah, it's all about activity. And it's it's about learning when you don't realize you're learning. And it's about getting families to learn together. And to be in situations that are not school-based, where they can explore, you know, subjects that are of interest to them together. You know, you, you talked about downtown having a master plan now, and, and this was not so much a, a, a master plan as it, it just kind of came together through the years. But uh, you look down, going back to that whole district, uh, you look down, like we said, one of the few presidential museums in the country and then you can just walk down and you've got your top 10 ranked children's museum you've got the game and fish commission's Mm -hmm. nature center right there uh you keep going down you've got the old state house which is uh one of the iconic buildings in this 
whole part of the country with a great museum. I'm on the Ar- Historic Arkansas Museum Commission. Fabulous, so I'm right. biased toward ham. It is an outstanding museum for it a state is. this size. But that those are all within walking distance of each other. As oh, it I know. Out. It, it really it, it is really great. And uh, of course, then you've also got the the, the sculpture garden that's right there yeah, in, the, in Riverfront Park. Yeah, right yeah. behind the behind the Marriott, and you know, there's been a ton of time and energy put into that by City Director Dean Compuris and others to to make that a great place to go spend a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon walking through all the cool sculptures. So, no, we've got it going on, and you know, we do have things we need to work on, and. I'm glad we're going to get a core of uh, of ambassadors on the street who will be helping with litter, helping with directions, giving people a, the the feeling of being safe, which we know most of the um, the crime problems are more of a perception problem than a real problem. But mm-hmm. perception is reality, and it Absolutely. just takes. Absolutely, and it's going to help to have them in their yeah. orange blazers or whatever they wear down there. I exactly. mean, exactly, and that'll be soon. That'll be yeah. later this fall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to the return of the ambassadors. Before we run out of time, I mean, personally now, tell me a little bit about how on earth an old sports columnist ends up heading up a museum. How well, did that journey happen? I, I will tell you that, you know, I've, I've now I realized, you know, I graduated college on a Saturday morning uh, in 19, June of 1981, and less than 48 hours later, I was at the Arkansas Gazette. Mm-hmm. And I played that out to the very end of that, and I stayed in the journalism world and uh, – Came back here from Springfield, Missouri, where I'd been the assistant managing editor of the paper there and worked for my brother-in-law, Max Brantley, at the Arkansas Times. And I took a significant pay cut. And so I, I started. <laughs> I understand all about that. And yeah. I, yeah. And I started looking for things to do to supplement my income. And uh, I started doing freelance work for the Axiom Corporation. And I got hired there in 1999. And it was a, a life changer and a career changer. And I, I was Charles Morgan, the 35-year CEO's uh, communication guy, and I traveled with him and and got to do a lot of fun stuff on top of uh, work stuff. But that's where I kind of got my nonprofit um, perspective because mm-hmm. I worked on a group called Axiom Cares, and we did projects in the community, whether that's stuffing backpacks for kids or giving kids at youth home a Christmas present or you know, a lot of different things. And then I became an influencer on on how Axon spent that money. And by the end of my time at Axon, I was a decision maker. I was popular in the nonprofit world. I was oh, yeah. on the board of the Heart Association and, the, you know, I was on the board of Youth Home. And, and then when I went to UA Little Rock, I started looking for money instead of giving away money. And I thought, I want to stay in the nonprofit world. And I had done a project with Museum Discovery when I was at Axiom. And I thought, you know, I'm at the university, I'm in the College of Engineering and Information Technology. So all of these students had their passion for STEM education ignited somewhere along the way, which is what we're working on at the museum. So I got a hold of Nan Sells, my predecessor's CEO, and said, if you're ever looking for a board member, I'd love to get on the board. Got on the board of directors, had been all, there almost three years when she announced her pending retirement. And I was, uh, I applied for the job and I brought a lot of relationships with STEM employers that I had managed advisory councils at University of Arkansas Little Rock. So John Burgess at Mainstream Technology, there were folks from Southwest Power Pool, you know, Axiom already had the connection. So I was able to bring at least the promise of some tech employers and st- other STEM employers to, to to bear for the museum. And that mm-hmm. has really worked out. A lot of those folks have become board members and have become supporters. Right. And I've been there for 10 and a half years. My longest job ever was my first job at the Arkansas Gazette. My last job, which this is my last job, has now about a, two months ago passed. So I've, I've been wow, there ten and a half years. Yeah. My longest. I had a few three and a half, four and a half year ones in between. So did I. You know, yeah. but uh, 
you know, and it's just, and, and I have such a great team. And I will just tell you this, you know, before we close, I'll be out in public and someone will say, hey, you, you all know Kelly? Kelly runs the Museum of Discovery. I said, well, I appreciate the introduction. Hi, I'm Kelly, and I'm responsible for the Museum of Discovery. But I got a team of people running that, that museum. That run it every day, yeah. That I don't have to worry about it. They are pros. They have the passion for the place. We have a passion for giving our guests a good experience. And I'm sitting here at the Democrat Gazette offices talking to you. Never worry once about how things are going at the Museum of Discovery because mm-hmm. they have got it. Yeah. That that is good to hear. Yeah. You know, you know, I want to touch on real quickly, uh, because of similar things, you talked about kind of being on both ends of it, uh, fundraising and giving away money. I, I spent five years, as you know, as head of the association of all the private colleges in the state, and uh, we had a scholarship fund that we distributed. So I raised money in that role. My next role, I go to Simmons Bank, and one of the things I was over was corporate contributions right. again there. <laughs> Kelly, I'm not sure that it's not harder to give away money than it is to raise money because yeah. you have so many groups asking and you want to make sure it's used wisely. I, I think it's harder to give away money. I agree, and you got to request every day. And, and, and they're all very good causes. You just kind of have to pick your horses and ride those and, and say, I believe in what you're doing. We just can't spread it. It gets spread too thin if you try to take care of everybody. And, you know, we have folks, too, that sometimes, you know, a bank, and you're a bank, we're, we're a bank, yeah. um, you know, they're like, we could, you know, rather than give you $10,000, it would be much more advantageous for us to give $1,000 to 10 different organizations because we have branches all over Arkansas. Yeah. You know, they have a softball team in McCrory and they need uniforms, you know, so it, it just, it, it is, it, it's, it's a, it, but we have so many good nonprofits and, you know, when I tell our folks at the museum, we play a very important role. We have a very important niche. We're never going to be the Arkansas Children's Hospital. We're never going to be the Arkansas Food Bank that are, you know, needs that, I mean, Children's Hospital saves people's lives. Absolutely. Food Bank keeps hungry people from being hungry. Mm-hmm. We augment their, you know, we, we have an important role, but there are just so many great nonprofits. All right, let's pretend rather than a poor newspaper man that I'm a tech bro sitting here uh, wanting to give away some money. What, what's your elevator pitch? Well, my elevator pitch is that, you know, what, what we do is, is important, and it's um, important to the STEM education pipeline. It's important to the STEM workforce pipeline. So companies and individuals who understand that you got to get a kid energized about STEM subjects and later STEM careers by middle school – you know, there, there are more of those now. I, I read a study. They interviewed 20,000 eighth graders. And when you're in eighth grade, you're, you know, you're 13 or 14. And they said, what do you think you'll be doing when you're 30? And when you're 13 or 14, you don't know if you're going to live as long as getting all the way to 30. Mm-hmm. But they wrote down what they thought they'd be doing when they were 30. And they were able to follow those people as they became adults, finished college, gone out. And by the time they were 30, they checked back with them. People, when they were in eighth grade, who wrote down a STEM profession, I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be a nurse, I'm going to be an architect, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a computer programmer, were 3.8 times more likely to be that than someone who had not written that down in eighth grade. Mm. We got to get kids thinking about the fact that STEM subjects don't have to be intimidating. They, they, while they're, yes, they're challenging, but they can be rewarding and they can lead to rewarding careers at companies right here in Arkansas. So come have a great time at the museum. But yes, we are in major. We will be getting a little more public with our fundraising. Yeah. But yeah, we're we're working to get this place even better than it was. And we do need the support of the community. And there'll be much more said about that later. Kelly Bass of the Museum of Discovery, truly another institution in Arkansas where we 
punch well above our weight class for a small state. Kelly, thanks for all you do. I appreciate it, Rex. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. And thank you again for joining us for the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette.